part of the Press Play Podcast Network. Hi, everyone. Thanks for stopping by to the latest episode of Sable Brothers on the Baseline Podcast right here on the Press Play Podcast Network. I'm John Sable. And I'm Scott Sable. Thanks for tuning in. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't done it already. We've got a, a great guest here with us. If you're uh, from the Cleveland area or just watch Cavs games for that matter, you know him very well. He's a former first-round draft pick of the Cavaliers in 1974. Nine-year NBA vet, seven years with the Cavs. Was an all-star in the wine and gold in 1979. Averaged 16 points per game. Uh, he's also the Cavs director of alumni relations. And like I said, you see him on the broadcast. Scott, we've been watching him do do it for quite some time now on Bally Sports as a team studio analyst. Mm-hmm. Our guest is former Cavalier Campy Russell. Campy, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you guys for having me. Uh, it's a great time of year to uh, talk a little Cavs basketball and uh, talk about the expectations and just uh, talk a little basketball. So let's reflect back on your uh, seven year seven years with the Cavs. You know, looking back. It, it, you know, for a lot of our younger, uh, younger listeners here, you know, the 1970s and 80s, it seems like, you know, it's such a distant memory or not a memory for them at all. But give us one of your favorite memories going back to those years with the Cavs in the early days. I think one of my favorite memories uh, regarding the guy it was, it's more about the guys that I played with. Um, it was about the relationship that uh, we all um, have. Uh, from the day from day one through this day, I think that is the the joy uh, that I think about when I think about the seventies. When back in those days with um, my teammates, uh, whether you're talking about Jim Brewer, Footsie Walker, uh, Jim Jones, and uh, by the way, Jim Jones and Footsie Walker and I both came to the Cavaliers the same year. Uh, I was the number one draft choice. Footsie Walker was the number two draft choice and then they we picked up Jim Jones at the, who was in the ABA at that particular time and he joined the Cavaliers and uh, then we as we all know we had Austin who was the number one draft choice two or three years before that Jim Brewer who was two or three years prior to that so what we had was a group of Midwest players who Bill Fitch believed in because he was from uh, he coached at the University of Minnesota some years ago so when I when I reflect back, I, I reflect back on those times of uh, coming together with a lot of guys that had the same thoughts and that was trying to be successful. Um, talk, think about the relationship that we had then, and the relationships that we have even to this day. And for me, that is the beauty of, and that's what I think a lot about when I think of Cavalier basketball and where it was. Back in 74, which was, for me, that that was a franchise that was only four years old. Uh, and to be a part of that franchise and to take that franchise and help propel it uh, to where it is today, I think that's a, that's definitely a, a great opportunity that we all had. What do you remember most of the Richfield Coliseum? I mean, the early 70s, that was a state-of-the-art facility. You know, I remember going there going there as a kid. It was yeah. out in the middle of nowhere. But but that was the the mecca of basketball here for North, Northeast Ohio back in the 70s, 80s, early 90s. What do you remember about uh, the old Coliseum? 
Well, I remember that it was just a spectacular building. Um, and what I mean by that, it was just, uh, as you just mentioned, it was out, as we used to call it, out on the prairie because it was just out there. There was nothing around it other than trees and a lot of space. But what I really take out of that is the fact that everybody in this Northeast area came to that one spot because they embraced that team that we had, who was a, which was a young basketball team. And the fact that that Coliseum was a, the baby of Nick Maletti, who wanted and did whatever was necessary to get that building put out there in Richfield. And there is no question in my mind uh, that that was one of the most spectacular buildings uh, in the league. You know, it was held 22,000 <laughs> fans just about. Uh, and it was just a, a great venue. Uh, yes, it was out in the middle of nowhere, but our fans, whether they was coming from um, Youngstown, whether they was coming from Columbus, whether they was coming from Akron, whether they was coming from Sandusky, whether they from coming from the city of Cleveland, they all gathered at that place to witness a bunch of young guys, a young team that wanted to fight and to put themselves on the uh, uh, on the on the national level. Of, of some of the other teams that were around who had been around for a lot of years. So the Coliseum was a beautiful facility. It brought together a bunch of young guys who really wanted to make. That's what I remember about the Coliseum and the fact that Muhammad, I, I went to uh, the Muhammad Ali, uh, Chuck Webner's fight out there. I used to go watch the earth, wind and fire there. I mean, it was <laughs> a great venue uh, to go to. But it was also tough to get in there and it was also tough to get out of there. But we relished the fact that everybody showed up. Yeah, you look at all the highlights and even as a kid going there, can't be it was rare that you ever see an empty seat in that building. And it's yes. just a it's just a shame that they couldn't preserve it before they tore it down. You know, it was only up there for only around what, twenty years, and then they tore it down. It's just a shame that the communities couldn't come together and, and preserve it. Well, it's like anything else, you know, there's always decisions that have to be made. And I think if you look back at it um, now, it probably was the best thing that happened that one, it was there and then it was taken away. But what what appeared, what came about is what we looked where I'm sitting at right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right here in the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse in a grand facility downtown Cleveland. And as we all know, back in the early 70s, uh, 80s, it was not a um, uh, good site, downtown Cleveland. There was not very much down here. But now you look around some years later, later it's, it's, it's this town has grown so much to the degree that we have people living downtown in, in high-rise apartments and and uh, restaurants are now down here, and there's this is now a destination. And I think that's the beauty of what we had out in Richfield. Now, at, in terms of what we have now downtown Cleveland, and and this town now is flourishing because of that. When you go back to 1980, Cavs traded you to, to the Knicks just before your seventh year with the Cavs, um, or right before your right before your eighth year or seventh year because you came back later on. 
Yes. When they traded you, did that catch you by surprise? And did you ever get a reason why? Um, I, I don't think it caught me by surprise um, because I think this team was kind of in a situation where they were trying to grow, but at the same time, they were trying to create some stability. And I remember talking to, um, I wanna, I'm, I'm trying to think who was the general manager at the time. I'm going to say uh, Don Delaney, I believe, or what it was one of, there was so many, there was so much going on at that time. But at, at any rate, uh, yes, I was traded and I went to the Knicks. And um, it, to me, I think it turned out good for everybody. Um, it allowed uh, a young guy like Mike Mitchell to become a much better basketball player. And he had, he did a good job of uh, growing his own game and putting himself in position to, you know, to be a star in the league. Uh, but as it relates to um, uh, my situation, I think it just came down to um, they wanted to move. They wanted me to um, they wanted to move Fitz Walker. And at the time, Fitz Walker and I and, and even to this day had a great relationship. And, um, you know, we both thought that. Mike Mitchell could play a small position, small forward position. I felt like I can move over and play the the, the big guard along with Fitz Walker. And I asked the, the, the ownership at that time, I said, hey, I'm willing to move over and let Mike play the small forward. I can move over and play the two. Fitz Walker can play the small, I mean, can play the point guard, which he and I had just such great synergy between us. I thought it made sense. But uh, obviously they did not. <laughs> and so they ended up uh, trading me to the New York Knicks, which uh, I think was a really good opportunity for me to have the opportunity to play with the New York Knicks and to be a part of the history of the New York Knicks. I mean, you eventually made it back to Cleveland in a trade four years later. Now, you suffered a knee injury in a pickup game in Cleveland. Is that right? No, it was in, in my hometown in Pontiac. Oh, Pontiac. Okay. Okay. I got you. And then you came back and uh, which you came back to Cleveland. That was your final uh, your your final season in the NBA. How difficult was that with that injury? I mean, it was it was wasn't something during a, a real game. It was, you know, like you said, up in, in your hometown. Recovering from that. Do you remember what was going through your mind? Well, to me, I, I had seen a lot of different examples of guys who had that same injury, uh, which was an anterior cruciate at that particular time. Uh, who tried, who struggled to try to come back too soon. And because of those examples, I believe it was the best thing happened to me because I saw what not to do. And that was to try to rush back and, you know, put yourself in the, in the bad position where you never would have stability in your leg anymore. So well, basically what I did, is I just took uh, I just took more time to make sure that um, uh, my leg had healed, my knee had healed and that um, I got had a good, good, great surgeon in uh, New York who did an outstanding job. And to this day, I can say that I did what I thought I needed to do, which was to take the time. And uh, yes, I was able to come back. I felt like I was healthy at that time and my legs and knees was, was strong. And it just happened that um, things did not go the way I wanted it to go. But uh, from a longevity standpoint, the best thing happened to me was uh, that injury as well as me surviving it 
as well as me having the still mobility, the great mobility that I still have in it to this day. So in my mind, I think it all worked out. I did the right thing and um, it all has worked out. What fascinates me about your career and the time you spent in the league, Campy, is that the NBA, what they debate, they debuted the three point line in the 79 80 season, which was right in the time of your era. Um, How was it like adapting to that? Because I know that first year I looked up your stats. Do you remember what you shot from beyond the arc that first year? Uh, I have no idea. In 41 games, you went one for nine beyond the three point line. Right, right. Well, you know, and and, and that makes sense because. Me, you know, for me and the way the game was played at that time, the game was played more, uh, not so, the, the three-point shot back at that, in those times was basically when you were down a lot of points. Mm-hmm. And now you were trying to get back in the game by taking three-pointers, okay? And, you know, so for me, I was not a three-point shooting kind of guy. For me, my game was more about scoring the ball, uh getting other people engaged into the game, rebounding the ball, trying to play an overall game is what my game was about. It was not necessarily about the three-point shooting. It was about how do we keep everybody engaged into the game where everybody can have some semblance of success and, more importantly, the team could have success. What is your What was your initial reaction you know, I don't know how many years it's been now to the NBA kind of going to the three point, uh, you know, shot being it, it, it's a common occurrence. I mean, the NBA has completely shifted in the last, let's get say 10 years, 10, 12 years, maybe a little longer. What was your yeah. initial reaction seeing the NBA game changing like that? Well, I, I think the thing that we all understand in life <laughs> and that is changes. Things will change. Things are going to change no matter whether you are. Uh, with them or not, but in terms of the uh, the three point shooting in the day's game, it is something that has definitely added value to the overall league in terms of the excitement that it has created. Because these guys are such, I'm going to say, great shooters. Because they that is what the game is more about now, where it. A lot of dribble penetrating, uh, kicking the ball to wide open three-point shooters. And there's a lot of great three-point shooters in this league. So for me, I think it's been a really good, valuable tool for the league because it has created more attraction. The the younger fans love to see that now. But um, so for me, I think it was a necessary uh, uh part of the game that needed to happen to assist the league in continuing to grow and to be a worldwide game. Who's your favorite player playing with or against when you look back? With? Wow. I mean, there there's so many guys that you have played with that um, for me, it's always been about relationships. It hadn't been so much about the playing, uh, but I would say, some of the one of the top guys for me uh, is uh, a Foots Walker, and the reason why I say that is again, it's just because of the relationship that we have, the synergy that we had when we played together. We can almost read each other's mind without even uh, saying a word, you know. Uh, and so definitely, Foots goes down as one of those guys 
Um, I would say Nate Thurman um, would be the other, uh, a guy that, you know, I always had a lot of respect for and grew up watching him and then having the opportunity to play on the same floor with him was a whole different level for me. And then the other piece of it with Nate Thurman, it had to do with just the relationship, again, that we had, you know, for, uh, with each other and how we dealt with each other. And uh, he was a big part of a guy who really kind of helped me take another level in my own game as well. So uh, Nate Thurman definitely is, is one of those guys. And then, um, uh, you know, obviously the guys that came in with, Jim Brewer, um, Austin, playing with Austin, um, having the opportunity to play uh, with Bingo Smith. You know, mm -hmm. those guys uh, have, have, have and will always hold um, uh, a lot of respect and love for because of our, all of our relationships. Got one question before we get to current Cavs players. Uh, your last season, it was into the early 80s. Um, you know, the league was transitioning. You had Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. The Cavs are also transitioning. You know, you had, I think in that last season, was World Be Free on that last, on that team, I think so, in, that la in your last year with the Cavs? No. You, no. Okay. No, no, no. And, uh, go ahead. No, I was no. going to say in, in the last year, in the early '80s, that last year, could you see the the Cavs transitioning? Could you see where they were going to be? You know, two, three, four years down the road into the '80s team that we all remember. I know we were several years away from that, but could you kind of see that the seeds being planted at that point? In the early '80s, um, uh, it's, it, for me, when, when I look back at it. In the 79, 80, 81, 82, 83, um, the team was still kind of teetering. Um, I think there was, you know, the, the stability that this team and the city and everybody needed was not there. And I think that stability came along when uh, the guns took over the team. And when the guns took over the team, uh, a lot of great things happened, but I think they, they made some great choices as a, for the general manager in terms of a guy like Wayne Emery, uh, for a coach like Lenny Wilkins. Mm -hmm. uh, and then those guys, along with the ownership, put together a plan that helped save basketball in Mount Canyon here in the Cleveland area uh, and putting together a game plan that has put us where we are to this day, you know? So when you look back at that, at that time, um, you know, it was another one of those things that things change and it changed for the better because of uh, Mr. Gunn and his forethoughts and his ability to bring the right chemistry together to make that, that those eighties teams, mid eighties and going forwards teams, mm -hmm. Some of the best teams uh, in the history of Cavalier basketball. All right, if you're looking for a perfect holiday gift for this holiday season, look no further than the Columbus-based company Homage. We've teamed up with them here on the podcast to uh, bring you some great products. They were nice enough, Scott, to send us uh, some shirts. 
Yeah, and I love the shirt I got. It's a it's a it's a Cleveland Guardians, um, and it's it's really cool. I mean, it fits well. You know, some of the shirts you always find a shirt that you know maybe just just doesn't fit right. These fit perfect, and that you know they allow you to breathe too. Because I'm a guy who gets kind of hot, and these are the shirts that you want to wear, especially when you're working, say, in the office in the middle of the winter time when it might get a little warm. Somebody turns with the thermostat, or if you want to wear outside on a nice day like today when it's 50 degrees, just perfect shirt, nice and comfortable. Yeah, high quality shirts. I've had mm-hmm. some Ohio State shirts. They sent me a Cavs one that's really cool. Yep. The old Cavs, uh, a gold font from the '70s style on there. They've got NBA, MLB, college, NFL, um, a lot of cool, you know, comic book style shirts, hand drawn mm-hmm. designs, great quality from uh, our friends over at Homage. So if you're looking for a holiday gift, go ahead to Homage.com. Go on our show notes here wherever you're listening to your podcast, whether it's on Spotify or Apple. Click the episode here and then use that link in the show notes that we're providing you to go ahead and uh, purchase your latest homage gear. They just not only just have the shirts, but they've got cool sweatpants, sweatshirts, exactly. uh, really, really cool stuff as well. One of my favorites ones, Scott, you, you always comment on it when I wear it, is that Cavs NBA Jam shirt that has the you know right. stats of Mark Price and Brad Doherty. Love that. Cool. I remember that. We used to play NBA Jam all the time in the basement. So this brings back a lot of good memories, a lot of good retro stuff too. Love it. Yeah, they've expanded that now to the NFL Jam and MLB oh, nice. Jam, too. So a lot of cool stuff there with our friends from Homage uh, based out in Columbus. You purchase them at homage.com, but go on our show notes and click that link there to get your latest and greatest Homage merchandise that will provide a perfect holiday gift this holiday season. Hey, everybody, it's Sam Amico from Cavs on the Break NBA podcast. Be sure to give us a listen for all your Cleveland Cavaliers recaps, analysis, breakdowns, draft talk, free agency. The list goes on and on. Give us a listen, Cavs on the Break NBA podcast. What's up, everyone? Chase Smith here, host of the Chase Smith podcast, and my podcast reflects who I am. My hobbies, my interests, my passions, my curiosities, my careers, my questions, and my family. I'll spend time talking about all types of sports, movies, TV shows, trending news stories, and other cultural events, and even faith. This is who I am, and I hope I can get to know you as well. Join me on the Chase Smith Podcast, and let's have some thought-provoking conversations only on the Press Play Podcast Network. The R&R Podcast going to be rocking and rolling with you because football season is underway. College, Ohio State, the Power Fives, the Mac, the Browns. Michael Regai, are you ready to rock and roll with some football? Kenny, I've been ready. This is our time of year. This is what R&R is all about. We're going to be with you every week. Kenny just said it, Browns, NFL, Ohio State-centric. So you got to stay with us all fall and winter long here on R&R. That's right, the Red Eye and Rhoda podcast coming to you here on the Press Play Podcast Network. Subscribe now and don't miss a show. Campy, let's talk current Cavs. Uh, big news right now surrounding this team, the injuries to Darius Garland and Evan Mobley. Darius out at least a month, Evan six to eight weeks. We've already seen them play, I think, two games so far uh, since then um, and, and come out with some wins. How can they recover in the short term in the next two months or so without trying to fall down to the standings and get out of playoff contention? Well, one, you know, no one knows really what's going to occur, but I think this is just an opportunity for some other guys. 
uh, to show that they can that, that they can assist in impacting this this basketball team, the current basketball team. When you look at uh, Mobley and you look at Derek Garland, they mean a lot to that to this Cavalier basketball team because of their great versatility. Um, in terms of uh, Evan, Evan does so much out there on the floor. Just his presence with this Cavalier team creates um, great success for him because of his ability to rebound the ball, block shots, run the floor. Um, and he's just one of those guys, as I always say, he's a winner. He's a guy that can impact your team and put your team in a position to win basketball games. Uh, as a relate for to Darius, Darius is valuable to this basketball team because of his ability to keep the ball moving, keep everybody engaged into the game. Um, and just they're both just guys who really wants to win and is willing to do whatever is necessary. Um, so for me, when you look at where they are today, um, I believe that we're going to be fine. I believe it's going to give other guys opportunities to to play and to show that they can play at this level and that they can assist this team going forward. So I, I don't look at it as a total devastation. I just look at it as just an opportunity for other guys to step in, to uh, build their own careers, to help this Cavalier team become better and to hold the fort and increase it and protect the fort while those two guys are currently out of, uh, out of commission. And do you think even – suggesting a trade you think that messes up the chemistry that we already have I, I i don't know anything about trades or suggestions or any of that kind of thing i just know, you know that you know in this business you have to do whatever you think is necessary to help your particular team um as it relates to any kind of trades i'm not aware of anything like that um but uh it's just a situation again for you hear this all the time. It's an opportunity for the next man up. I think there is talent that we still have on this team. Um, yes, uh, Mobley is a big person to kind of replace. Darius is another one of those guys. But, hey, there's other guys that's on this team uh, that has some great abilities. And given the opportunities, I'm sure that they can help hold the fort and even get better themselves and, and, and help this team become better. Uh, if given the opportunity. So I just look at it as an opportunity for uh, other guys to uh, take advantage of and to uh, bring their games into it and uh, see how they can help impact this Cavalier basketball team. Because I, I believe in some of the guys that they have, you know, particularly uh, um, the young kid, Craig, uh, Craig Porter. I, I, I just, I just, I just admire his game. Uh, and this again, this is an opportunity for him. There's some other opportunities for uh, other guys uh, on this team to step up. So, Campy, you're not worried, even with the injuries. You still think playoffs are still a, a destined destination? I guess you could say. Well, you know, uh, the opportunity is still there. You know, um, again, I still think this team is really a solid basketball team. Yes. Losing those two guys is definitely, uh, uh, is definitely going to hurt. But again, at the same time, it's opportunities for other guys to step up and play. And, um, it's just going to come down to, you know, the overall teams will. And I think we have a, a bunch of competitors on this basketball team. 
that will lend itself to us continuing to be competitive and still thrive to make the playoff and to impact the playoff uh, once they're in there. What's the ceiling like for Evan uh, Evan Mobley? Why do you think it's taken him so long to make that next big jump? Uh, I don't. I, I think he's made all the jumps possible. I mean, at this point, at this early age, and at this time of only what this is his what third year in the league, I believe, or I'm not sure right off. But uh, you know, he's only been around you know three years. I know that's crazy. Uh, you know, he's only what twenty one, twenty two. Every is, you know, right. I think, I think it's more about the expectations of fans and mm-hmm. everybody wants to see something. And we are watching something special right now in uh, Evan Mobley and uh, Darius Garland. Those guys are some of the young, talented guys in our league. And, uh, uh, you know, so people go all, you know, because we're all fans, we all want more and we're always looking for more. And we're looking for it like right now, not yeah. a year two from now. Uh, but I think uh, it's a situation that uh, we have a lot of young, talented guys and you have to let those guys grow and uh, build their own games and to impact the team based upon the things that they do. And I know a lot of times, you know, we, we as fans, even myself, you want to see more. But when you look at Evan Mobley, this guy, I believe, is going to be a impact guy for a lot of years in our league. And hopefully he, he will be here in Cleveland impactful. Yeah, I think that's the thing when you look at like that next big jump. I mean, what does that exactly mean? But a lot of fans are just, you know, they, they heard and read the, the comparisons to the body frame, to the style, to some other bigger players in the past. And they're waiting for that, for Evan to be like a Garnett or a Durant or a Bosch or something like that. And fans forget, Camby, it takes time to get there, you know? And it, it just, sometimes those expectations that fans put on, on, on their own minds on a particular player, no matter the sport, is just not realistic. It's just not fair. Well, you know, sometimes those expectations are not just driven by fans. They're just driven by everybody. Yeah, it's media, driven. for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. Whether it's podcasts, whether it's uh, just the general talk in, in conversation, all those expectations are, uh, are driven by a lot of external things. It doesn't have, and to, and to a large degree, it doesn't have anything to do with internally. But, you know, when you look at a guy like Mobley, the talent is there. It will show up. It's showing up. We're, we're watching it every single night. But the thing about us as fans, we want more mm-hmm. <laughs> right now. And, <laughs> you know, but, but at the same time, you have to uh, just enjoy the ride because all those guys you mentioned early on, you know, uh, whether you're talking about Garnett or whoever those guys that you mentioned, uh, it took them time to get there too. Sure. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and once they got there, they became, you know, some of the top players in their time. And, uh, I just believe that as, as, uh, people who watch the game and fans, sometimes I think we have to be a little bit more patient 
and allow it to happen because you have to also understand that those guys want to be great themselves. That's why they work so hard at their game, at their crafts, is that they want to be great. And the only way that you can be great is to be on a team that everybody comes together and everybody plays at a certain level and that they play good team basketball and they play with a lot of, uh, I'd say, just uh, being disruptive, you know, on both sides of the ball because you can be disruptive on the offensive side of the ball and you can be disruptive on the defensive side of the ball. So I just think that we need to just kind of sometimes take a step back and just enjoy the progress that your team is making and that the players on those teams are making. They're getting better and that you're seeing that. And that's what I see when I look at this Cavalier team. We're getting better and better. And it's going to come down to having healthy bodies and continue to be engaged on both sides of the ball. So you mentioned a little bit about playoffs still being as a realistic goal. I still think it is, obviously. As we sit here on December 19th recording this, how how far do you think they go when it's all said and done? I have to be honest with you, I have no idea. I, I mean, and, that, and I'm just because I I have no idea. I do believe that this team will have a good season, a great season. I believe that they're going to do all that's necessary to try to put themselves in position to be in the playoffs and to be and make an impact in the playoffs. That's what I believe wholeheartedly. You know, now whether they're going to get to that point, mm-hmm. I have no idea, but I know the desires, the desires are there. Okay, we always talk about in in uh, you know who's on 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 the the Mount Olympus of certain team sports that sort of thing. If you could pick We'll go five players on the Cavs Mount Rushmore. Who would it be going back from your playing days all the way up? You can take it all the way up to the present. Who would you put up there in your in, in your five on Mount Rushmore? It doesn't have to be the best players, but the players that you would see as you're driving into the into the national park, and then and there's the Mount Rushmore right in front of you. In Cleveland's history, yeah, well, that's that, that's interesting. You know, um, I, I I just believe that you know it's always going to um, start and end at this particular point, at least end in my time. Uh, with uh, LeBron James, number mm-hmm. one. Uh, uh, number two, uh, I would say probably uh, I, I have to put uh, Brad Doherty in that mm-hmm. mix as well. Um, uh, it's tough, isn't it? Our power forward. Um, and I would say probably from a longevity standpoint, from a consistency standpoint, from impactful standpoint, uh, I would say uh, Larry Nance. Okay. Um, as a, and I've already mentioned who the small forward would be, which would definitely be LeBron James. Yeah, yeah. I've already mentioned uh, possibly the center, which would be Brad Doherty. For sure. Um, I would say that from a guard standpoint, um, wow, that's, that's where it gets real, <laughs> real tough, <laughs> uh, you know, because now, first of all, you have to think back in terms of, uh, 
who were those guards? <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, but for me, you know, when you go and look at that, I would say, um, wow, from a shooting guard from perspective, um, I would say probably uh, went to Miami, Ohio. And Harper, Ron Harper. Wow, Ooh. okay. Okay. I know yeah. he was uh, but his impact, his impact on the game and on this team mm-hmm. was huge. Got a raw deal too, by the way. Well, uh, got I, rid of him. Yeah. Well, you know, we can always that that's the beauty of sports. We can always say what was a great deal and what was a raw deal. That's <laughs> right. the, yes, yes, yes. I need one more. Uh, but the uh, I would say, in terms of the uh, wow, in in terms of the point guard, if if you will, um, that's a that's always a tough and it's really controversial. And I think it's but but that's again is the beauty of sports. And um, I would just say, probably in a from that perspective, I would say. Um, Probably Mark Price, you know, as that mm-hmm. guy. You know, you can always say Terrell Brandon, right? Uh, oh, uh, John Bagley. Uh, you know, right. we've had great point guards that have come through here in the past. But again, that's the beauty of sports: is to have those controversies and to to save stuff and create opportunities to carry on the dialogue and right, keep right. going. So. Uh, I'm I, I'm glad that I had a hand in trying to create that uh, and keep that <laughs> in terms of the picks that I made because I'm sure people are probably saying, "Well, why did you pick Jim Jones or why didn't you pick Nate?" And uh, uh, you know, because we all have have had great impact on the history of Cavalier basketball. So when you start to try to narrow it down to five people, it's hard to do. It's, yeah, it's I know. hard. It's almost it's impossible. It is. But, but 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 the good news is we all have our own great opinions. Right. Yes. And, all right. Last question for you, Campy. You've been around basketball your entire life. Played in the NBA. You've been a broadcaster for decades now. Um, it's a big hot topic question. We got to get you this one last answer. Who is the greatest basketball player of all time? Conventional wisdom is either LeBron or Jordan, so we'll narrow it down from there. If you had to pick between the two, who would you go with? Uh, you know, again, this is you know, this is that same uh, quagmire <laughs> that everybody gets into, you know, right? And, but just for fun, you know. Well, you know, you know, just for you know, just for, for fun. Yeah, just just yeah, exactly. For fun, for me. We're talking about the greatest basketball player of all time. Yeah. Of all time. For me, I would say Magic Johnson. Oh, wow. All right. Of all time. Now, I'm talking about that do everything, you know. Yeah. In basketball, outside of basketball, in high school, in elementary, in junior high, and not even to this day, in my opinion. I was, I, if I had to pick somebody, I would take Magic Johnson. I like how he went the other way, John. That's good. I, I respect I that. that. <laughs> and uh, you know what? That answer I can agree with as well in that conversation for sure. 
and there's so many of them. And that's why it's, 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 it's a great question to ask because it's going to create so much stuff, which is a good thing because again, you're talking basketball, you're talking, how do we create interest? How, you know, that is, is, is the, is the best thing that you can bring up if you want to have a lot of conversation mm-hmm. is to ask that question. Now, if you're talking about one of the, the smaller point guards to ever play, I would say those two people that I would that I would say would be Tiny Archibald and um, and uh, Isaiah Thomas. Wow! Yes. Oh yeah. That's what I would say. Again, creating controversy. You know, it, really quick, and and you look back because I'm a baseball fan, and you know we have baseball video that goes back you know, a hundred years, we can go back to the 1920s and you go back to the seventies. And that was almost like the beginning of, you know, where the NBA started getting some national exposure prior to that. You know, you look at video of the sixties, there really isn't much out there. You wonder if there was more national exposure to the NBA, you know, back in the, you know, in its infancy, the late fifties, sixties, early seventies. And that point, if a lot of those players, you know, from back then, would would be a lot higher on a lot of people's lists because you could go on YouTube, you could watch video of them. A lot of these players, you, you can't see them play. It would be interesting to see how those a lot of these names in people's minds would would have changed if there was more more exposure. Well, that's always again the beauty of sports. You know, if I could, I should I would right, I? Right. <laughs> you know, if I had the opportunity, what would my my opinion be then? And I would think that again. If you start, if you want to try to put numbers on guys, I think the only way you can do it is in it's in their own era. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to engage somebody in 2020 into a 1968 game, right? It's it's you can't do it. <laughs> you just you know because we're talking about a brick and an apple. And they're not even related in any form. Right. <laughs> right. That's that that's my opinion about it. Campy, we're gonna wrap this up. Thank you so much for taking the time with us here. I know you're real busy. You're out there at uh, you know downtown Cleveland. You're busy every day, and you know it's it, it's a pleasure having you on our podcast. Uh, you know, talking about old school calves, really old school calves back from the '70s, and kind of leading that all the way into our conversation about what's going on here currently. Campy, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast, and we hope to talk to you really soon. Hopefully, in the next couple months, when the calves are deep into the season. Well, I, I appreciate you guys. Uh extended invitation for me to be a part of your podcast. I know it has taken some time to uh, make it happen, but Hey, you know, like, uh, you know, timing is everything, all things in its own time. And I've had my time of being part of you all's part uh, podcast. And I greatly appreciate it and look forward to doing it sometimes in the future. Sounds good, Campy. Thank you so much for taking the time. And thank you for listening to this edition of Stable Brothers on the Baseline Podcast right here on the Press Play Podcast Network. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Give us a rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It definitely helps us out. Follow the pod on Twitter at Sable Brothers. Follow yours truly at John underscore Sable. And you can follow me on uh, on Twitter or X, now that it's called, at uh, Scott Sable F-O-X-8. You can follow me on Instagram at Scott Sable P-I-C-S. Again, we're always looking for feedback, comments, criticisms, suggestions, you name it. Thanks again, everybody, and have a great day.